Hello everyone and welcome to Curious Murmurs, the show that brings you classic gothic fiction and other weird little pieces of writing that I find and just adore. Now let me make it very clear so that you are all aware before you start these stories that these stories were written in an era where they used offensive language and had offensive opinions. And so if that's going to upset you, don't listen. I certainly don't condone those opinions, but it is a part of classic literature. If you can manage to just ignore those nasty words and opinions that pop up sometimes in these old fictions, then please carry on listening and support my channel. Now let's get on with the story. The Ghoul of Golders Green, Part 4 Mr Trevor is somewhat confused in his relation of the course of events immediately subsequent to Miss Samsonoff's narrative. During its course, he had time, he says, to study the young lady's beauty, which, though of a very superior order, was a little too innocent and insipid for his taste. His judgment, however, cannot be entirely fair, for such was the direction of the young lady's eyes that Mr Trevor could judge her by her features only. As to the story itself, Mr Trevor says that, while yielding to no one in his liking for a good story, he could not see his way to considering Miss Samsonoff's notable, either for interest, entertainment, or that human note of stark realism which makes for conviction. And while, in the ordinary way, a murder was to him like a magnet, he could not rouse himself to feel irresistibly attracted towards the ghoul of Golders Green. It was therefore with surprise, not unmixed with pain, that he heard Mr Maturin saying, Ralph, we are in luck. To what? Mr Trevor could not entirely cleanse his voice from the impurity of sarcasm. To what do you refer? But it was not without some compunction that he heard the young lady sigh miserably to Beaumar Turin. I am afraid I have wearied your friend. Forgive me. My friend, said Beaumar Turin gently, is an ass. In point of fact, Miss Samsonoff, far from wearying us, you have put us under great obligation. Oh. You are kind. The young lady had moved to sob. On the contrary, Mr. Maturin warmly protested, I am selfish. I gather you have not been reading the newspapers lately. Had you done so, you would have read of a murderer who has recently been loose in London and has so far evaded not only capture, but even identification. So far as the public know through the newspapers, this criminal has been responsible for only two or three murders. But this very night, my friend and I have had a private information to the effect that within the last few weeks, twelve mutilated corpses have been found in various parts of London, to which we must now, no doubt, add a thirteenth, the remains of your late enemy, Mr. Michaelius. But where your information, said Mr. Maturin gallantly, is especially valuable, is that the police do not dream that the criminal is of your sex. To my friend and me, it is this original point that invests the pursuit. Pursuit? Mr. Trevor could not help starting. With, said Mr. Maturin coldly, an added charm. And now, with your permission, Miss Samsonoff, we will not only return to you your formula, as to the financial worth of which I cannot entirely share your late parents' optimism, but also... Also, Mr Trevor said with restraint, we will first of all call at Vineyard and borrow a few policemen. 
Oh, yes, the young lady said eagerly. We will be sure to need some policemen. Please get some policemen. They will listen to you. I do not find an audience so difficult to find as all that, said Mr. Maturin coldly. The London police, Miss Samsonoff, are delightful, but rather on the dull side. They are much given to standing in the middle of crowded roads and dreaming, and if even your short stay in London, you must have observed that a serious, nay intolerable, obstruction they are to the traffic. No, no, my friend and I will get to the murderer ourselves. Come, Miss Samsonoff. But I dare not come with you, cried the young lady. I simply dare not approach the house again. May I not await your return here? The attacks of ten murderers, said Mr. Maturin indignantly, cannot disfigure your person more violently than being left alone in a nightclub will disfigure your reputation. Bulgarians may be violent, Miss Samsonov, but lounge lizards are low dogs. Mr. Trevor says that he was so plunged in thoughts that he did not arise from the table with his usual agility, and the first notice he had that Mr. Maturin had risen and was nearly at the door, when on hearing him wave aside a pursuing waiter with the damnable words, My friend will pay. Without, the taxi cab was still waiting. Its driver, said Mr. Trevor, was one of those stout men of little speech and impatient demeanour on which at this moment was plainly written the fact that he had been disagreeably affected by waiting in the cold for nearly two hours, and on Mr. Maturin sternly giving him a Golders Green direction, he just looked at our two gentlemen and appeared to struggle with an impediment in his throat. Golgotha Road was, as the young lady had described it, a genteel street of tall, gloomy houses. Mr. Trevor says that he cannot remember when he liked the look of a street less. The taxi cab had not penetrated far therein when Miss Samsonoff timidly begged Mr. Maturin to stop its farther progress, pointing out that she could not bear to wait immediately opposite the house and would indeed have preferred to wait her brave cavaliers in an altogether different part of London. Mr. Maturin, however, soothed her fears and, gay as a schoolboy, took the key of the house from her reluctant fingers and was jumping from the cab when Miss Samsonoff cried, but surely you have weapons. Mr. Trevor says that, while yielding to no one in deploring the use of weapons in daily life, in this particular instance the young lady's words struck him as full of a practical grasp of the situation. Of course, said Mr. Trevor nonchalantly, we must have weapons. How stupid of us to have forgotten. I will go back to my flat and get some. I won't be gone a moment. That's right, Mr. Maturin agreed, because you won't be gone at all. My dear Miss Samsonoff, my friend and I do not need weapons. We put our trust in God and St. George. Come along, Ralph. Miss Samsonoff, we will be back in a few moments. And what do I do? asked the taxi driver. Nothing, said Mr. Maturin gaily. Nothing at all. Aren't you lucky? The house which the young lady had pointed out to them had an air of even gloomier gentility than the others, and Mr. Trevor says he cannot remember when he liked the look of a house less, particularly when the ancient brown door gave to Beau Maturin's hand before he had put the key into the lock. Mr. Trevor could not resist a natural exclamation of surprise. Mr. Maturin begged him not to shout. Mr. Trevor said that he was not shouting, and without a thought for his own safety, was rushing headlong into the house to meet the terror single-handed when he found that his shoelace was untied. 
he found Beaumature in, in what he supposed would be Corder Hall when it was not a pit of darkness. A stealthy lit match revealed that it was a hall, a narrow one, and it also revealed a closed door to the right by Mr Trevor's elbow, which he removed. The match went out. Quietly said Mr. Maturing, quite unnecessarily, for Mr. Trevor says he cannot remember when he felt less noisy. He heard the door to his right open, softly, softly. Is that you opening the door? He asked, merely from curiosity. Shh, snapped Beaumaturin. Hang on to my shoulder blades. Mr. Trevor thought it better to calm Beaumaturin's fears by acceding to his whim, and clung close behind him as they entered the room. The moon, which Mr. Trevor already had reason to dislike, was hanging at the moderate elevation over Golders Green as though on purpose to reveal the darkness of that room. Mr. Trevor's foot then struck a shape on the floor. The shape was soft and long. Mr. Trevor was surprised. Mr. Maturing whispered, Found anything? Mr. Trevor said briefly that his foot had. So's mine, said Beau Maturin. What's yours like? Mine's rather soft to the touch. And mine said Mr. Trevor. They're corpses, let's face it, sighed Mr. Maturin, making fifteen in all, with us. Seventeen. Just give yours a kick, Ralph, to see if it's alive. I've kicked mine. I don't kick corpses, Mr. Trevor was muttering, when he felt a hard, round thing shove into the small of his back. Ow, said Mr. Trevor. Found anything, said Mr. Maturin. Mr. Trevor said briefly that there was something against his back. And mine sighed Mr. Maturin. What's yours like? Mine's rather hard on the back. So is mine, said Mr. Trevor. They're revolvers, let's face it, said Beau Maturin. They are, said a harsh voice behind them. So don't move. I've got some sense, thank you, said Beau Maturin. Sir, said the harsh voice, and it was a woman's voice. I want none of your lip. I have each of you covered with a revolver. Waste, said Beau Maturin. One revolver would have been quite enough. Besides, my friend and I were distinctly given to understand that you were partial to a razor. Or do you use that for shaving? I use a razor, said the harsh voice, only when I want to kill. But I have use for you two. The light was suddenly switched on. A light so venomous, says Mr Trevor, that they had to blink furiously. And that must have been a very large room, for they could not see into its far corners. The light came from what must have been a very high-powered lamp directly above a table in the middle of the room, and it was concentrated by a shade in such a way as to fall, like a searchlight, exactly on the two helpless gentlemen. Mr Trevor says that Beaumarturian's handsome face looked white and ghastly, so the Lord knows what Mr Trevor's must have looked like. Meanwhile, their captor leapt from her station behind them, and they were privileged to see her for the first time. She was, says Mr Trevor, exactly as Miss Samsonoff had described her, grey and gaunt and dry, and her expression was strangely contemptuous and evil as sin, and never for a moment did she change the direction of her revolvers, which was towards our gentlemen's hearts. Mr Trevor says he cannot remember when he saw a woman look less afraid that a revolver might go off in her hand. Look down, she commanded. It's all right, said Beaumarturin peaceably. We've already guessed what they are. Corpses. Nice cold night for them too. Keep for days in weather like this. Mr Trevor could not resist looking down to his feet. The corpses were two youngish men in dress clothes. They're cut badly, 
said Mr. Maturin. They're not cut at all, said the woman harshly. I shot these two for a change. I meant their clothes, Mr. Maturin explained. Death was too good for them with dress clothes like that. Well, I can't stop here all night talking about clothes, snapped the woman. Now then, to business. These bodies have to be buried in the back garden. You will each take one. There are spades just behind you. I shall not have the slightest hesitation in killing you as I have killed these two, but it will be more convenient if you do as you are told. I may kill you later, and I may not. Now be quick. Lord, what's that? cried Mr. Trevor sharply. He had at that moment realised a strange, muffled, ticking noise, which must, he thought, come either from somewhere in the room or from a room nearby. And while he was never in this life less conscious of feeling fear, he could not help but be startled by that ticking noise, for he had heard it before when timing a dynamite bomb. That is why, the woman explained with what Mr. Trevor supposed was meant to be a smile. You will be safer in the garden. Women are but weak creatures, and so I take the precaution of having a rather large size of dynamite bombs so timed that I have but to press a button to send us all to blazes. It will not be comfortable for the police when, if ever, they catch me. But pick up those spades and get busy. Now don't be rude, begged Beaumarturin. I can stand anything from plain women but discourtesy. Ralph, you take the bigger corpse, as you are smaller than I, while I take the little fellow on my shoulder, which will probably be the nearest he will ever get to heaven with clothes cut as badly as that. You can come back for the bodies when you've dug the graves, snapped the woman. Take the spades and go along that passage. No tricks. I am just behind you. There was a lot of rubbish in that garden. It had never been treated as a garden. It did not look like a garden. It looked even less like a garden than did the garden of my grandmother. High walls enclosed it, and over it that deplorable moon threw a sheet of dead daylight. Dig, said the woman with the revolvers, and they dug. Do you mind if we take our coats off? said Beaumarturin. Mr Trevor says that he was being sarcastic. I don't mind what you take off, snapped the woman. Now don't say naughty things, said Mr. Maturin. Nothing is more revolting than the naughtiness of plain women. Dig, said the woman with the revolvers, and they dug. They dug, says Mr. Trevor, for a long time, for a very long time. Not, however, that it was difficult digging once one had got into the swing of it, for that garden was mostly dug up soil. Suddenly Beaumarturin said, Bet you a fiver I dig a grave for my fellow before you. Right, said Mr. Trevor. Dig said the woman with the revolvers, and they dug. And, said the woman, I don't allow any betting in this house, so call that bet off. What? said Mr. Maturin. Dig, said the woman with the revolvers. Mr. Maturin threw down his spade. Dig, said the woman with the revolvers. Mr. Trevor dug. Mr. Maturin said, Dig yourself. Dig, said the woman with the revolvers. Mr. Trevor brandished his spade from a distance, he noticed for the first time that they had been digging in the light of the dawn and not of the moon. And who the deuce, said Mr. Maturin dangerously, do you think you are not to allow any betting? I have stood a lot from you, but I won't stand that. Dig, said the woman with the revolvers, but Mr. Maturin advanced upon the revolvers like a punitive expedition. Mr. Trevor brandished his spade. Another step and I fire, said the woman harshly. 
Go ahead, said Mr. Maturin. I'll teach you to stop me betting, and I hate your face. Oh dear, oh dear. The woman suddenly cried with a face of fear, and lowering her revolvers, fled into the house. Mr. Trevor was so surprised that he could scarcely speak. Mr. Maturin laughed so much that he could not speak. What's there to laugh about? Mr. Trevor asked at last. It's funny. They had us. Let's face it. Come on, let's follow her in. She may shoot, Mr. Trevor cautioned. Shoot my eye, sighed Mr. Maturin. Once in the house, Mr. Trevor stopped spellbound. There were voices. There was laughter from the room of the two corpses. They're laughing at us, said Mr. Trevor. Who wouldn't? laughed Beau Maturin, and opening the door said, Good morning. You've said it, said the policeman. Ha, ha. You'll have some breakfast, asked the woman with the revolvers. Please do, said Miss Samsonoff. You ought to be hungry, said the taxi driver with the Homburg hat of green plush. Look here, gasped Mr. Trevor, what the blazes? Ha, ha, said the policeman. Have a bit of veal and ham pie. Now, Ted, don't be rude to the gentleman said the woman with the revolvers. Quite right, mother, said Miss Samsonoff. We owe these gentlemen an explanation and an apology. And if they don't take it, we are in the soup, miserably said the man in the Holmberg hat of green plush. Now you do. Go and get cups and plates for the two gentlemen, said the woman with the revolvers to the two corpses in dress clothes. Listen, please, said Miss Samsonoff, gravely addressed Mr. Maturin. My name isn't Samsonoff at all, but Kettlewell, and that's my mother, and these are my four brothers. How do you do? said Mr. Maturin, absently drinking the policeman's coffee, but Mr. Trevor is glad that no one heard what he said. You see, said Miss Kettlewell, and she was shy and beautiful. We are the Kettlewell Film Company, just us, but of course we haven't got a lot of money. A lot is good, said the policeman. My brother there, and Miss Kettlewell pointed to the wretched man with the Holberg hat of green plush, was the director of an American company in Los Angeles, but he got the sack lately, and so we thought we would make some films of our own. You see, we are such a large family, and the recent murders gave us a brilliant idea for a film called The Ghoul of Golders Green, which, thanks to you two gentlemen, we have completed tonight. Oh, I do hope it will be a success, especially as you have been kind enough to help us in our predicament, for we hadn't any money to engage actors, and we did so need two gentlemen, just like you, who really looked the part, didn't we, mother? But my dear child, cried Beaumarchurin, I'm afraid your film can't have come out very well. Trevor and I will look perfectly ghastly, as we neither of us had any makeup on. But it's that kind of film, smiled Miss Kettlewell. You see, you and your friend are supposed to be corpses who, by some powerful psychic agencies, are ticking your own graves. Heavens, what's that? There at the open door stood an apparition with a dreadful face. He appeared, says Mr. Trevor, to have some difficulty in choosing among the words that his state of mind was suggesting to him. And me, gasped the taxi driver hoarsely. What about me? Hanging about all night? Who's going to pay me? That's what I want to know. There's four quid and more on that clock. Mr. Maturin swept his empty coffee cup round to indicate the family kettlewell. My friends will pay, sighed Mr. Maturin. 
That was The Ghoul of Golders Green by Michael Arlen. Thank you for listening and thank you for supporting Curious Murmurs. Tune in every Sunday for a new episode.